0: You got to lead with love. And I think that softness creates an opening for other people to be themselves. I think leaders also have to be vulnerable and they have to allow themselves to be seen, which can be scary because the the thought behind that is I'm going to be judged. Or if people find out about the truth of who I am, they're not going to like me. Mm -hmm. And usually it's just the opposite is true.
1: Welcome everyone, my name is Sean Keegan and I'll be your host today. For this episode, we are excited to bring on Billy Ward as our guest. Mr. Ward is currently a motivational speaker. You can find his TED talk online entitled, How to Love and Be Loved. In addition to his speaking career, he was the quarterback at his alma mater, Georgetown University, and was drafted by the Baltimore Ravens. He later became a pirate and graduated Seton Hall with a Masters in EDS in Counseling. He worked as a certified life coach with IPEC Coaching. Now, in addition to motivational speaking, He's a theology teacher, Kairos retreat director, and counselor at Seton Hall Prep School. And today he joins us on the podcast. Billy, thanks for coming in.
0: Sean, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be here.
1: All right, so first, if you're comfortable, I'd like to talk about football. When you are drafted by the Ravens out of Georgetown, I understand you never actually got the chance to start playing with them. Can you give us a little bit of context for listeners?
0: Sure. Um, I, I love starting off with football. And I actually, I wasn't drafted. I was, I signed a free agent contract right after the draft. So uh, right after the draft, I got a call from a couple teams, one of them being the Baltimore Ravens. And football has always been uh, one of my first loves and taught me also a lot about kind of entering into this flow state of mind. And I felt like uh, arriving in Baltimore for preseason practice and uh, rookie symposiums, I felt like a kid in Disney World. I was mm-hmm. playing with guys that I had watched on TV. I spent the summer in camp with them. And even some of the preseason games, you know, being in Giant Stadium or Baltimore Ravens Stadium uh, was just, for a guy that was always a fan of the game and being in those stadiums in, in the seats and then being on the field, it was, it was such a privilege.
1: Absolutely. So then what exactly was the situation then? Because I understand from your TED Talk, you didn't actually get the chance to play for them. And how do you bounce back from that as this being like a dream and this being something, you know, the guys you've watched on TV all your life? How do you bounce back from something like that?
0: Well, it's uh, it, it didn't really happen right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I remember the day that I was released and I was cut and uh, it was a really long drive up, up the thruway and the parkway, you know, through mm-hmm. Maryland and D.C. and then uh, New Jersey. And I think I cried most of the way. And I don't think it was until a year later that I found myself teaching at, at Seton Hall Prep High School. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. My first day of teaching felt very similar to to being in the huddle. And the same excitement and the passion that I felt in the huddle, I also began to feel an experience in the classroom. And, you know, you can't really do much uh, about the football thing when they say, hey, we no longer want you. Yeah. So... I wasn't going to, you know, be a victim to that. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I had a lot of other things that I wanted to do in this lifetime. And it, it was time for me to just start doing them. And so as, as I began teaching and fell in love with that art, it really became something that I could kind of sink my teeth into and be passionate about. Mm-hmm and really explore the nature of who I was, but also kind of have an opportunity to step into the best version of myself because the environment, very much like this one at the university, really fosters growth and connection and relationships. And uh, I've been at Seton Hall Prep now for 21 years. I never had, had any expectation of being a teacher growing up, but I was always surrounded by, by good teachers and good coaches that had tremendous impact on me. So it really ended up being a blessing in disguise.
1: So how did you end up finding teaching? Obviously going from inside the huddle to inside a classroom is a big step. So how did you end up finding that?
0: I was at Camp New Day with a good friend of mine, Vinnie McMahon, who runs this camp. And uh, you work with autistic adults, and it it really levels you and puts a lot in perspective. And I was talking to the director, Vinnie McMahon, about my desire to go back to graduate school, which I ended up here at Seton Hall University. And he's like, how are you going to pay for that? I'm like, that's a good question. I don't know. And he said, well, if you teach at a Catholic high school, they'll pay half and Seton Hall uh, University will pick up the other half. So I went home immediately, sent out a bunch of resumes and good Monsignor Kelly gave me a call the next day, who's the, the, now the president of Seton Hall Prep, and said, hey, would you, would you like to come here and coach football and teach theology? And uh, I was there the next day. So very cool.
1: So it's about capitalizing on opportunities like you couldn't have foreseen this happening and just it ended up working out and now it's something you found super passionate and something that really fulfilled you.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, there was a saying in my high school locker room, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I I felt lucky and it was an awesome opportunity and I intuitively followed my heart and it's brought me so much joy, so much peace and and so much love in the last 20, 21 years.
1: Absolutely. In your TED talk, you talk about one of your students, Daniel, (laughs) who really had an extraordinary impact on your life. I think it's unique because usually when we talk about teachers, we end up thinking about the ways teachers and good teachers really transform students. But we don't focus so much on the angle of how students can really affect the people teaching them. What can you say about really recognizing this new element of the dynamic and realizing like just as leaders or mentors or teachers that we have a lot to learn from the people we're supposed to be guiding? Like what can we get out of that?
0: Well, it's interesting. As a teacher, I often feel like a student and being a teacher and being at the at the front of the room is a real privilege, but I'm, I'm never really the guy to kind of stand up at the front and say, hey, I got all the answers. You know, I haven't made it. I'm trying to make it. And what I mean by that is I'm human. And uh, I think being human, you have to kind of be open to the whole spectrum of, of human emotion. I met Daniel my first year, my first day of teaching. And it was just obvious to me that he had an energy about him that I wanted to be around. But I was also inspired by the unconditional love that he shared so freely. Um, You know, literally, I'd, you know, see him in the hallways and and his his spirit was was shared with everyone, athletes, band guys, cool guys, you know, smart guys, like the the whole, the whole bit. And I think it's got to go both ways if you're in a healthy environment where the teachers are learning from the students and the students are learning from it teachers and and it goes both ways. And I think that's, that's our human nature. You know, it's, there's a give and a take and and a push and a pull and and a love and a be loved. And so I think it's really important as a teacher to be open to that. And I think if you are, your students end up being more engaged in in the long run and they see you as being somebody, you know, who isn't such an authority figure, but really a Mm -hmm. human being. And I think that really is promoted at the place that I work with. When I was growing up in high school, I thought all my teachers lived in the high school. And if I saw somebody (laughs) like at a supermarket, I'd be like, you know, Mr. Donnelly, my English teacher, I'm like, what are you doing here? Don't you just live in your classroom in the library? So I try to like uh, approach teaching with a a real humanness and uh, authenticity because one, it's more fun and it's more free.
1: Absolutely. And you you talk about love in your answer. Um, What do you say is the importance of using love and not just traditional ideas of being strong or independent as a leader, but instead using love to try and motivate people as Daniel had motivated the students around him. How do you try to personify that? And how do other leaders try to use love and be more effective leading?
0: You know, I think love is is really where it's at. And in the Thou, this, uh, this wonderful book. It says, Softness Always Overcomes Hardness. And, you know, I've had a lot of leaders and, and coaches and teachers really lead with fear. And they, they got a lot out of me. Mm-hmm. But it was those men and women as coaches and teachers that really shared their love that, that got even more out of me because of that bond that we shared and the energy that we shared through the love that was being shared within the relationship. So, you know, when I was a younger person, I was always inspired by people that were nice. And mm-hmm. I think I had a goal as a younger person. Like, I just, I want to be seen as that nice guy. Like, I, I want to make people feel the way I've been made to feel by, by people who have just been really kind to me. And as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm a little bit more comfortable saying, you know, not only do I want to be nice, but I, I want to be loving.
1: How do we overcome that barrier of Loving and going from traditionally in our world where we are more insulated and we don't really share our vu- most vulnerable aspects that allow us to love people. What advice can you give us to really help overcome that so we can reach a point where we can love and le- lead with love?
0: Three words. My my good friend Paul Martinelli kind of coined this idea, but do it afraid. Um, you just have to do it. You have to you have to ask her out. You have to jump in the pool. You have to try that food. And really, this place of vulnerability is where all the good stuff in life happens. That's where a connection really happens when we're able to kind of open up, be authentic. And be ourselves, that's when we allow other people in and hopefully experience a connection that makes us feel more fully alive. So let fear. Take second place to what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. You know, people worry about, oh, I I, I have so much fear. Or, you know, how did that person do it? They're fearless. To be human, I think it is to recognize that we all have fears and anxieties, mm-hmm. but we we don't allow them to kind of be the thing that controls our actions and our behaviors. So I, I think it's uh, it's something that you just got to you just got to do. You got to get comfortable being uncomfortable, and you have to just just try. And I think maybe consider at what cost. Am I not sharing or being myself? What am I missing out on? Um, that's also something else that you might want to consider. Mm-hmm. So doing it afraid, jumping in the pool, asking her out, you know, all, all just Absolutely. Get, get get into the game of life.
1: So what are some things you did, like little tricks and tips that you did to try and help push fear to the backseat and really start living life authentically, lovingly, and vulnerably, so that way fear was no longer kind of guiding your decision-making?
0: That, that's a great question. I think for the last 20 years or so, I've, I've had a real serious commitment to my own self-growth. And uh, so so what does that mean? Even right now at, you know, 44 years old, I pray every day, I meditate every day, and I do yoga. And these pillars kind of allow me to be conscious of, of, of the center of who I am and what I am, and these moments allow me to reflect on how I want to be in between the prayer the meditation and the yoga and so i think it is this this consistent commitment to your own self growth and this inner journey that allows the outer journey to kind of fall into place and i think i have had that consciously for a long time now and I can't tell you that the more I do it, the, the more peace, the more freedom, the more joy and the more love that I, I get to experience. And I think in the end, it, it's really about experiencing a lot of joy and being happy and having fun. You mm-hmm. know, we're supposed to enjoy this ride. It's meant to be enjoyed.
1: Absolutely. So then how does that translate into your motivational speaking, first of all? How does one get involved in a career like motivational speaking? And how do you really try to incorporate those aspects that you find important in your own life and that other people should exemplify? How do you incorporate that into your messages for your audiences?
0: You know, it's uh, it's interesting being a speaker because ultimately you kind of have to face yourself, which which I, I'm up for the challenge and I like that aspect of it. But initially, you know, I never came out and said, hey, I'm a speaker. I had a couple opportunities to share some things at a couple different venues and, and people were very afraid and saying, hey, you should be a speaker, you should go do this. So that that's kind of how it was prompted, just feedback mm-hmm. that I was getting. To be honest with you, I love teaching. And I look at speaking being kind of like a branch of, of, of teaching. And I still, though, Experience some anxiety, although a lower level than when I started. About you know wanting to share an energy and, and make an impact. And as I've grown and, and committed to this inner journey, I'm, I'm more clear about my mission. You know, I'm here to awaken my audience to this idea that one, you are alive. Two you have the opportunity to cultivate and create a life by design, you know, instead of waking up every day and saying, I wonder what would happen today, you know, waking up and kind of having a little bit of a game plan as to what you want to create and what you want to do. And you don't have to see steps one through 10, but sometimes you just need to see that first step. And so Part of my role as a, as a speaker now as I see it is to stir something up in my audience to wake them up to this idea that you're alive. But not only that, it's a gift. And what you do with it is up to you. And the more ownership that you take on it, the more invested uh, you are and, and the more you're going to experience, the more mm-hmm. full your experience will be. So that, that's kind of like been my, my journey to being a speaker.
1: So is that partially, at least, influenced by your work as a, as a life coach? And to what extent does those kinds of lessons really help you become a better speaker and really capitalize on things you find important in addressing with audiences and making them see the importance of as well?
0: Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, you know, one, as a therapist, as you said, I got my master's and my EDS here at Teen Hall, and so I had had a private practice. I saw a gentleman speak who was the president of IPEC, the coaching school, Mm -hmm. and I was impressed by him. And at this point I had a private practice and I just, I went up to him after the talk and I said, Hey, we're going to work together at some point. And he said, why don't you come to my school? And uh, so I did. And it ended up being just a real beautiful process of of evolution and mind, body and spirit. And, you know, as, as a life coach, they kind of make you go through all the stuff that you want to kind of journey with your clients. And, you know, a lot of it is really about this, this commitment to this inner journey, the study of the self and this idea that the relationship you have with yourself right which if you think about it like we all talk to ourselves all day long what's that dialogue like what's that conversation like well you can kind of come up with some ideas to make that conversation really worthwhile that allows you to kind of step into the best version of yourself so that you can share that authenticity. And then as a result of that sharing, experience a connection. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I learned in, in counseling was synonymous of, of what I learned in life coaching. And certainly in my own experience, both those platforms have have served me so much in terms of how I, how I choose to take care of myself.
1: What do your clients usually look like? Is it more of a broad array? or is it usually a specific type of person looking for your service as a life
0: coach? Great question. Uh, It's everyone. It's a broad, diverse array of people. You know, I worked with some adolescents and then adults, individuals, and couples. But it's, you know, my belief that we could probably all use some kind of therapy. Not that we're broken, right? Because I think in our brokenness, we are whole. But if you think about it, like how many people are, are going to a gym to work out or exercise, and yet we don't exercise our mind and our hearts, and even though it has a tremendous impact on our overall experience. So I, am, I, I really am into the promotion of this this self-study, but also kind of tapping into to mentorships, therapy, life coaches, I think we can all benefit from having somebody outside of our family nucleus to kind of talk to. Um, and even as somebody who's been in therapy himself for years, even, you know, the ability to walk into a room and, and talk about yourself, your fears, your hopes, and to focus entirely on that for 45 minutes to an hour, it's, it's really, it's really a beneficial thing to commit to.
1: Absolutely. So you'd mentioned you worked with some adolescents and now obviously, You work at Seton Hall Prep, so you work largely with adolescents. What's the biggest kind of message you try to instill in their lives at a young age and try to get them working towards they could enjoy a more fulfilled life?
0: Well, I also, uh, you know, the high school that I work with is an all-boys school. Mm-hmm. Um, so that definitely has a little bit of an impact on, on the messaging. But I think the most important message that I'm sharing is this power of love. Um, we have the opportunity to love and be loved, to love ourselves, others, the world, and God, and to allow ourselves to be loved in return. Now, how do you how do you go about that? I direct a, a retreat called Kairos with a good friend of mine, Mrs. Sharon Rondanella. And it's really been a, a pillar for our community in terms of the culture that it's created. And we talk a lot about the power of being vulnerable, really allowing yourself to to be seen so that you can have a true, honest connection. So this this idea of love coupled with the, the power of being vulnerable are two ideas that I think really fuel the rest of the fire.
1: So for those of us unfamiliar with it, um, could you give a little bit of context and detail as to what a Kairos retreat usually looks like? Yeah,
0: Kairos is uh, its a Jesuit retreat. It's a four-day experience. The word Kairos is a Greek word meaning God's timing. But it's a time where we, we kind of, you know, we tr- retreat to a, an off-campus location. And we focus on the relationship that we have with ourselves, with others, and with God. And students give witness talks, and they share their narrative, their story. Sometimes it, it can be painful, but you know, usually on the latter end, there's some success. Some stories are still ongoing, and they, they meet in small groups, and there's some activities that we do to kind of enhance the program. But ultimately, people are sharing their stories. And I think the more you share your story, the more you find out that maybe you're not so alone. You know, when we get down to our own humanness, I think we find out that we're more 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 alike than not at the core. So it's a beautiful experience. And what I've seen and witnessed is as students on retreat start sharing, they start to experience the the freedom really to be themselves. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing better as a teacher than to watch somebody that's worn a mask for a couple of years at school and to finally take it off and say, wait a second, I can just be myself and still be loved and accepted and feel like I belong it's just an unbelievable transformational experience where we're really planting seeds for, for the future. And I've been around a long, long enough time now to see some of those seeds come to fruition.
1: So what does it usually take to get people to take the mask off and start realizing it's okay to be authentic and it's okay to be vulnerable? Because obviously it's not easy.
0: No, no, it's uh, it's not easy at all. And I think everyone's kind of individual and it's, it's a process really that unfolds. But uh, I think you either learn from great love or from great pain. So... You might have a, a mother or a father, or an aunt or uncle, or a grandparent that's just incredibly unconditionally loving, and they give you a space to operate as yourself, and you experience that freedom. And you notice the difference between being with them and then maybe being with somebody else. And you start to notice that there's there's some tension there because you're you're not acting in alignment mm-hmm. with the truth of who you are when you're not with that loving person. On the flip side, sometimes we experience something very painful in our lives that that transports us to a place that says wait a second I've only got one shot at this life it's inevitable that it's going to end at some point so I want to make the best of what I have while I'm here so in my eyes I I think you know it's creating great love or reacting to great pain and, and changing your story in a way you go from being a victim to a victor
1: so what can we do as leaders to help provide people that platform and facilitate them opening up and allowing themselves to be vulnerable and allowing themselves to be authentic
0: I love the question. I think one, you got to lead with love. You got to lead with love, and I think that softness creates an opening for other people to be themselves. I think leaders also have to be vulnerable and have they have to allow themselves to be seen, which can be scary because the the thought behind that is, I'm going to be judged, or if people find out about the truth of who I am, they're not going to like me. Mm-hmm. And usually, it's just the opposite is true. Right? When I open up and when I share, I I allow people to see see me and to see who I really am. And that gives the right people, right, with a similar energy or synergy, the opportunity to to connect with me. So leaders really need to lead with love. And I think they also need to lead with vulnerability.
1: Absolutely. So increasingly difficult as we go on usually people end up closing themselves off and trying to make it hard for other people so then how do you empower that kind of resilience to then continue doing that because obviously even after coming out and being authentic for the first time it can still be difficult what kind of advice can you offer to try and continue along that path
0: i you know i believe that the quality of your life is often dependent upon the quality of the questions you're willing to ask yourself and i think you gotta you gotta ask yourself what kind of life do i want to lead do i want to lead a life living as somebody else other than who I am because I'm afraid of the consequences of sharing the truth? Or do I want to be myself and see what happens and roll the dice? Um, I think the quality of your life depends upon that. the answer to that question. And we got to really be strong enough and courageous enough to get over the hump of our fears and of our anxieties and to play full out, to play all in, to give it a shot. And I think once you have a little success in that sharing, that experience in itself will fuel a, a further healthy exchange of, of people sharing on a real, authentic level.
1: Absolutely. So you mentioned asking ourselves the right questions, and you mentioned a couple. What are some other easy questions we can start asking ourselves to start that process of self-analysis and start opening up to ourselves and being more authentic?
0: Well, I, I think one is, uh, you know, to learn to kind of start to set intentions. You know, mm-hmm. when when you go somewhere, or even when you wake up in the morning. I also always start with gratitude. I ask myself this question, what am I most grateful for at this moment? And I think that I think that gratitude question really gives you an opportunity to look for the good, not only in yourselves, but but in others. And I ask myself that question multiple times throughout the day. In fact, when my kids get in the car after school, I'm like, "Hey, what what are you most grateful for?" My little guy, Casey, who's six, I'll say, hey, what'd you, what'd you like so much about school today? And every day he says the same thing. Dad, I love everything. And I just love that answer. Like he, he gets a little kick and and, and he has a passion about, about everything. So I think asking yourself the gratitude question, I think setting intentions and asking yourself, how do I want to show up to, to this podcast? How do I want to show up to this talk? How do I want to show up to this class? Um, and I don't think that's inauthentic. I think it's just you know, being a little bit more considerate over who you are and what you are. On top of those two things, I think the commitment that you have to your self-growth. For me at this point in time, I do yoga, I meditate, and I pray, right? What's good for you? What's good for somebody else might be a little bit different, but I think, you know, any modalities that serve your mind, your body, and your spirit, and something that you like doing is probably worthwhile and will help with this journey of of the self, right? The more confident Mm -hmm. we feel in the relationship we have with ourselves, that relationship is emblematic of, of every other relationship we have. So the more work you do on your own mind, body, and spirit, the more comfortable you're going to be in sharing yourself.
1: So you mentioned in there something, actually, one of the slogans for our first year in the Busina Leadership Institute about leading ourselves. And what do you think is the importance of that as the first step in becoming a more accomplished leader and being able to lead ourselves and not just focus exclusively on leading other people, but turn inwards first?
0: Yeah. uh, You know, I think I'm not sure where I read this, but we are all leaders. Right. And first and foremost, we have to lead ourselves. Um, I don't know how you could lead anyone without leading yourselves. There would be a huge gap for the audience. Wait a second. Um, You know, this this isn't going to work for the equation you're putting out there. I think it's important for us all to recognize that this opportunity, like, you know, when you give somebody a gift, right, even as a dad, like I have a certain expectation when I give my kids a gift, right, like I hope they use it, I hope they're they're grateful for it, I hope they share it, and I, and I hope they have fun with it. Well, guess what? This life is a gift, and I hope that we all can recognize that we can play full out, we can share our lives, we can be grateful for them, and we can experience a, a, a ton of joy, So I think your perspective and and how you look at something is is something that we're all responsible for and we get to choose, right? It's one of our greatest freedoms. Mm -hmm. How How do I look at this? Even the obstacles that we face in our lives, right? They're going to force you to dig deeper to a deeper version of yourself and a better understanding of your strengths and your weaknesses. So having this perspective and the freedom to choose a healthy perspective is just, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you take advantage of that?
1: Thank you so much for your insight. That's all we have time for today. So, Billy, I want to thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate you coming out, giving us your insight, and allowing us to share in your experiences.
0: Sean, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you, listeners, and we'll see you next week.